Well, uh, as you probably know, uh, repetition is the key to learning, right? Repetition is the key to learning. Let me say that again. Repetition is the key to learning. You know, when we were kids, we memorized the alphabet, uh, and we memorized our times tables, right, by repetition. Uh, musicians, Jerry, spend, Mike, spend countless hours uh, learning scales, right, over and over again until it becomes uh, embedded into our brains. Uh, learning a new language requires repetition of endless vocabulary and parsing drills uh, over and over and over again. Um, so uh, I read on the internet, so uh, it has to be true, that, that, you, that as, as you continue to have stuff repeated to you over and over again, uh, what happens is that the learned skill transfers from the conscious part of your brain to the unconscious part of your brain. And that's where learning really happens because the learner no longer has to think about it. It becomes reflexive uh, in them as uh, new synapses in the brain develop as a result of this repetition. So uh, thanks to Michael and Allie, I started uh, learning Spanish uh, through this app that they told me about called Duolingo. And I've been working on that for about three weeks now. And, and the, the idea behind this app is they just repeat, 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 pounding you with the same vocabulary and drills over and over again. So they stay in my brain. Well, as you know, Jesus was a master teacher. And so he used these techniques of repetition. And we're going to see a lot of, of the word see today, uh, the word see repeated in our passage today. Uh, and so uh, he also does it through repetition of miracles. So we're going to see the same kinds of miracles here in Mark 7, uh, 7 and into chapter 8 uh, that we've already seen throughout the gospel of Mark. Uh, so he's causing the deaf to hear, the mute to speak. He's providing food for the masses uh, from seven loaves of bread. And so Jesus repeatedly performs these same kinds of miracles uh, because his disciples seemed to be slow to catch on, to understand what it was that he was trying to teach them about him, uh, about his ministry. And so uh, he's asking them, do you not see? Do you not see? Repeatedly through these stories. So he wanted them to know with every fiber of their being that he was the promised Messiah, that he was God, uh, and doing all the things that the Old Testament predicted that their Messiah would do over and over again so they would get it. Uh, so repetition would cause them to see. And so uh, that's what Jesus did. Now Mark, on the other hand, why did he include these repetitious stories? Well, uh, Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, also understood the value of repetition. Uh, what's to be gained by including two more uh, feeding, or healing miracles and one more feeding miracle? Well, what's to be gained is repetition, drilling this in to their hearts so that they would see. Now, one literary device that, that biblical writers would use to help with repetition, to help people remember, uh, is called a chiasm. A chi is the Greek letter X in their alphabet. So <clears throat> in a chiasm, uh, the, the author presents uh, sets of ideas, crisscrosses these ideas uh, in, in a set of ideas. And so what he does is he, he says them uh, and then repeats them in reverse order. Uh, so, for example, if there are two ideas, then it appears like this. There's an A idea, there's a B idea, then the B idea is repeated, and then the A idea uh, is repeated. So we see this uh, in the Bible uh, several times. Here's one example. Whoever exalts themselves will be humbled. Whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. That's a chiasm. Uh, that is, uh, and it's for repetition for memory's sake. 
Sometimes there is an idea inserted into the middle of the chiasm, so it's an A, B, C, B, A type of structure. And when that's the case, uh, often that idea that's located in the middle, that, that C idea, is the one that the author is trying to stress. And I think that's what Mark's intention was with this passage that we'll look at today. Because what we have in our passage today, this long passage, is an A, B, C, B, A structure. And this is what it looks like. Uh, we have the healing of the deaf mute, that's the first A. Then we have the feeding of the 4,000, which is a bread uh, motif. And then we have the Pharisees asking for a sign. Then repeating again, the leaven of the Pharisees, again, the bread motif, and then uh, finishing with the healing of the blind man. So we have the healings on the outer edges of this. Uh, and what Jesus is getting at here throughout this entire uh, long passage that we're looking at today is, is who sees Jesus for who he is? Who has eyes to see and ears to hear? Who understands who Jesus is? Uh, so what you see on the uh, PowerPoint today right there is what our outline uh, for today is going to be. And, and what I want us to get from this passage is that uh, Jesus proved who he was uh, to those who had eyes to see and ears to hear and, and who understood. That includes those he healed and the witnesses, uh, the disciples who came and, and saw. And so uh, Jesus was grooming these disciples for the mission that he had for them, for the ministry that he was going to send them on once uh, he left them. And so uh, through repetition, he taught them, he softened their hearts, uh, and he, he, he taught them to see, to see who he was. But in the middle, you have these Pharisees, right, uh, who, who were hypocrites, who did not want to see, who refused to see, and for them, Jesus did not show them any special signs at all. They already had enough evidence to see, but they refused to see. Their hearts were hardened. When they came to Jesus, it was not for the purpose of, of learning anything. It was to try to trap him, to try to uh, trip him up, to try to protect their position. Uh, and their hearts were already hardened against Jesus so that they would not believe. So the lesson for us is that, that if we have hearts that are open uh, and, and minds that are open, Jesus will help us see. Uh, we just have to come to him with the right attitude. He will, he will help us. He will cause us to see. He will draw us into closer relationship with him. But if we harden our hearts like the Pharisees did, if we come to him with hearts that, that want no part of him, uh, Jesus will respect that decision as well. Uh, and he'll leave us to the consequences of it. He, he will not force us to follow him. He will not force us to believe. So that is, that is where we're going with this today. So let's look at the first story. And this is the healing of the deaf mute man. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Uh, again, he went to... Yeah. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, within the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Aphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And they were utterly astonished, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. 
So you may remember, it's been three weeks now, but when we left off in, in Mark, uh, Jesus had just been with uh, the Syrophoenician woman, and that was uh, up in Tyre on the, uh, on the west coast there, uh, in the northern, north of Israel there. And what we see here in the beginning and at the end of Mark chapter 7 is that Jesus is continuing his tour kind of northwest of the Sea of Galilee. He's in Tyre, and verse 31 tells us that he continues into Sidon. And then he goes around the Sea of Galilee on the east side and back into that area, again, that is called the Decapolis. Now, you may remember the Decapolis. That was where Jesus was in Mark chapter 5. Uh, this is Gentile country. This was where uh, Jesus uh, cast out the demons from that demon-possessed man, and the 2,000 pigs rushed into the sea and were drowned. And so uh, that's where that happened. And now here he is again among the Gentiles. And this time, uh, these Gentiles show their faith in him by bringing this deaf, mute man to him and asking him uh, to lay a hand on him uh, so that he might be healed. And so once again, those who are outsiders to God's family, the Gentiles, uh, show themselves to be insiders to God's family because they come to him in faith. Now, I'm not saying they fully grasped his deity at this point, but they, they believed that uh, he had the power to heal. So they saw uh, something that, that the Pharisees never saw or were willing to see anyway. So Jesus does this healing. He doesn't do this publicly. He takes this man aside. He takes him uh, away from the crowds. Uh, and so the, the healing itself is, is interesting and disgusting, uh, if you ask me. Uh, so Jesus sticks his fingers uh, in the man's ears, and then uh, he puts some spit on the man's tongue, uh, and this is how he chose to heal him. So why, the question is, why would Jesus choose to heal him this way? Well, uh, Jesus can heal however he wants to, right? He's God, and, and it's his prerogative uh, to decide how he wants to heal. Uh, some commentators that I read said Jesus was probably doing this to, to give signs to the man, to, to say, you know, I'm about to heal your ears now, I'm about to, I'm about to heal your mouth now, and maybe that's why uh, he did it that way. And he looked up to heaven, uh, showing the man that this is God's power. Uh, it is through God's power that he is able to heal this man. Uh, and this deep sigh that, that Jesus breathes is, is uh, you know, undoubtedly, it, it's compassion on the man, but, but probably also it has something to do with Jesus' uh, just his lament over the state of the world because of sin and God's curse on the world uh, because of sin. So with all this going on, Jesus says, Aphatha, uh, uh, which Mark translates immediately for his Roman audience because this is an Aramaic word, it means be opened. And so immediately the man can speak and he can hear perfectly. Now, you know, sometimes it's easy for us to gloss over these miracles because we have read these stories so many times, right? You have been in church for, you know, 50, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years maybe, some of you, I don't know. Uh, it's unbelievable how many times we've read these miracles and it can just become old hat to us. But I, I just don't want us to do that, just to take a second and marvel that Jesus has the power to take a man who's, whose tongue had a, a physical impediment. Uh, it, was, it was some kind of, of deal where he couldn't move his tongue properly, uh, and uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't hear. And, and yet, uh, Jesus, by a word, uh, makes this happen for him. So uh, Jesus' miracles deserve our awe, and we ought to just remember what Jesus can do. Now, Jesus... He was trying to avoid publicity. That's why he took the man away from the crowd. But uh, the more he told people not to say anything about it, the more they did say something about it, and the more famous Jesus became. He could not avoid uh, this fame. 
And uh, remember, he's in Gentile country, and the Gentiles' response is, is actually uh, quite appropriate. They were utterly astonished. Uh, you know, that, that's as astonished as you can be. They were shocked. They were in awe of what Jesus did. He makes even the deaf to hear uh, and the mute to speak, which is an amazing phrase because that comes right out of Isaiah chapter 35. And so here you have these Gentiles who are saying that Jesus fulfilled the Jewish prophecy from Isaiah. They don't know they're doing that, of course, but that is what they are doing. Uh, and so uh, these Gentiles, they see. Uh, and that is what, uh, what we get from that first story, the Gentiles see. And now next we move on to the feeding of the 4,000, the second story in our five today, uh, verses 8, uh, 1 through 10. Uh, in those days, when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion on these people, for they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered and said to him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them, and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away." And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanutha. Well, we started the feeding of the 5,000 just a few weeks ago, right? That wasn't very long ago. Uh, and, and in that episode, the focus was on the disciples uh, and their ability to feed these 5,000 people if they relied on Jesus' power. Uh, and there they failed the test, so Jesus had to feed the people uh, himself. Uh, here, the focus is on whether Jesus can actually feed the 4,000. That is what the disciples are asking. And I just want us to, to notice that this is absolutely a separate incident. That, that incident with the 5,000 happened in Galilee. Here we are in the Decapolis. These are separate people. In fact, Jesus himself is going to distinguish these two episodes in verses 18 and 20, uh, which we'll look at in a minute. Now remember, I mentioned what happened in Mark chapter 5. Uh, the, the townspeople, remember when the, when the 2,000 pigs rushed into the water, uh, the townspeople did not respond rightly at that time, right? They said, uh, please leave us, leave our city. And so Jesus obliged, and that's what he did. Uh, and so uh, the demon-possessed man, though, he did respond rightly. He said, Jesus, can I come with you? And Jesus said, no, you can't come with me. I'd like you to go back to your hometown and proclaim uh, to your people uh, what the Lord has done. And so it, it seems that the man's testimony actually affected those people, doesn't it? Because here they come, uh, again, Jesus is in the Decapolis, they come, they bring him the deaf mute man, and now here they are willing to listen to Jesus for three straight days until their food had run out and they had nothing left to eat and they're in a desolate place. So imagine the, 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 the effect that this one man's testimony might have had on the entire Decapolis, that he goes around proclaiming what the Lord has done, and they have a bunch of people in the Decapolis who are willing to go hungry because they realize that the spiritual food that Jesus brings is more important than even physical food, that they can be more nourished, their souls can be more nourished by the spiritual food that Jesus has than physical food uh, that they could consume. 
Uh, and if that's what the demon-possessed man's testimony was, well, that's a miracle in itself, isn't it, to, to soften hardened hearts. But what about the disciples? In verse 3, Jesus puts it plainly to the disciples, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And so we would expect the disciples to say what? Well, Jesus, we just saw, you know, last week, last month, whatever it was, we saw you feed 5,000 people out of five loaves and two fishes. Why don't you just do that again? But that's not what they say, is it? They ask the same question that they asked back in the 5,000 incident. Uh, Where will we get enough bread to feed such a multitude, right? Duh, right? Duh. Uh, They just don't get it. Uh, And so I'd like to think that maybe they were asking the question like with some some, uh, note of sarcasm, uh, uh, where will anyone, Jesus, wink, wink, be able to get enough food to feed this many people, right? Uh, Prompting Jesus to do the miracle. But but that's not how Mark tells the story, is it? It seems like the disciples forgot, like they were too dim-witted to remember what Jesus had done only a short time ago. And this is why Jesus had to repeat the miracles, right? He does the same miracles over and over again because the disciples seem too blind to see, too dull to comprehend Jesus' power, even when the, the, the Gentiles and the Decapolis uh, seem to get it. So again, Jesus creates bread from bread and fish from fish, so many that 4,000 people were fed and now 12 baskets are left over. And so just showing the disciples again, let me show you again what I can do. And then Jesus got in his boat and he headed to the region of Dalmanutha. Now, this location has not been actually confirmed by scholars, but many believe that it's in the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus would have gotten in the boat and sailed from the Decapolis, which is the southeast region of the Sea of Galilee, and then go directly in a northwest course uh, to the uh, region of Dalmanutha, which is near uh, Magdala on the plain of Genesaret. And that is where some Pharisees confront Jesus. And we'll see this in verse eight, or chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, where the Pharisees ask for a sign. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given except for, uh, or no sign will be given this generation. And leaving them, he embarked and went away to the other side. So what's Mark doing here? He's setting up a contrast between the Pharisees and the disciples and the Gentiles is, is what's going on here. The Pharisees stand in stark contrast to the disciples who they're, they're trying to understand. They have good hearts, uh, but they just can't seem to comprehend it. And the townspeople, they, they don't grasp de- Jesus' deity yet, but, but they know that he's special, and they come to him in faith uh, for healing. But the, the, the Pharisees, they're not genuine. They, they don't come with the right attitude. Uh, they are hypocrites, and, and Jesus knows it. They're trying to set a trap for him and catch him in it, which is why Jesus doesn't even bother to engage with them. He, he says, uh, I'm, I'm leaving here. I will not show you a sign. And in Matthew's parallel account, he gives more detail uh, than Mark does. Uh, It says there as well that that they were testing Jesus, asking for a sign. Uh, But here, uh, Jesus answered, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the sign of the times. 
An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And so Jesus clearly distinguishes between these attitudes of of the Pharisees that that are so hypocritical, that that, that don't want any part of Jesus. And and he, he works with his disciples, right? They have good hearts, he works with them. The Gentiles have good hearts. He works with them, but the Pharisees, he's got no time for these guys. He, he, he reserved his harshest words for them uh, because they had no intent to believe in him. They're only trying to catch him in a trap, uh, catch him in something that he might say uh, so that they can maintain their own position and uh, power as the religious leaders of Israel. And this is the same mistake Pharaoh made. Remember Pharaoh dealing with Moses back in the Old Testament? Pharaoh refused to recognize Moses as God. The Pharisees refused to recognize Jesus as God. Uh, In Pharaoh's case, uh, we read in the Exodus account of how Pharaoh continued to harden his heart against Moses and against God, even after plague after plague. And it's so interesting to me that, that the first five times in the Exodus account, when we read about Pharaoh hardening his heart, it, it, it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart, or Pharaoh's heart was hardened. That's the first five times. But then the next four times, talking about Pharaoh's hardened heart in the Exodus account, it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So the point is that it is possible to harden your heart so much to the point that faith, uh, that God gives you over to a hardened heart, and then faith is no longer possible. And that's what happened to Pharaoh. That's what happened to the Pharisees. They would not believe, and then they could not believe. Uh, They they would not see, and then they could not see. And this is what uh, Jesus does. He gives us over to Uh, the decisions that we make. And it's a tragedy uh, to trade eternal glory with Jesus for temporary earthly status and position. But that's what pride does to us, doesn't it? Uh, Pride makes us think that we don't need God, that we have it all figured out uh, by ourselves, that we can go it alone, that we're captains of our own souls, that we're in control of our own destiny. And Jesus gives the Pharisees over to their unbelief to show them This is what you want. This is what you get. I give it to you. And that's why I think these verses are the focus of our passage today, why Mark puts them in the middle of this chiasm. It's a a faith uh, issue uh, versus a lack of faith issue. You got Decapolis Gentiles and you have apostles who have faith imperfect as it is uh, versus the Pharisees who have no faith and who are hypocrites. And so uh, those Pharisees who should have been insiders to God's kingdom are outsiders to God's kingdom and they stay there. So, because the the disciples wanted to learn, even though they didn't get it, Jesus continues to teach them. Uh, And now he's going to repeat this theme of bread. Uh, But this time the bread is metaphorical and spiritual. Uh, We move to the second B, which is warnings on the the leaven of the Pharisees, uh, verses 14 to 21. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, 12. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, 
do you not yet understand? Do you see? Do you hear? Do you understand? Do you remember? Right? Jesus repeating over and over again, trying to, to teach these disciples. They had seen him feed the, the 5,000 from five loaves and two fish. They had seen him feed 4,000 from seven loaves and a few fish. Why are they worrying about bread, right? Can, has Jesus not shown that he can feed them yet? Uh, this is Jesus's dilemma with these guys. Uh, Jesus was not concerned about food. He was concerned about the false teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees uh, and Herod. Uh, so he's trying to teach them about the leaven of the Pharisees, uh, whom they just left, and, and Herod, who was the, the king of the region. And so in the Bible, as you know, that leaven, or sometimes yeast in your translation, is, is used as a, a metaphor, a symbol for bad things, for evil things. Uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, chapter 5, verse 6, Paul wrote, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? So boasting here is the leaven, right? It permeates the whole body. Uh, it works its way into every part, like sin. Sin works its way into every single part of us. And this is what uh, Jesus was warning them to be aware of because the scribes and Pharisees were leaders and they were hypocrites, but their teaching was affecting all the people around them and they were taking on the same hypocrisy as the, the scribes and Pharisees were. And so uh, the, the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees, pride, right? False teaching, unbelief, uh, Herod's leaven, uh, adultery, murder, uh, political aspiration, and also unbelief. So Jesus is warning them about this kind of leaven. Don't follow that because it will permeate your soul as it has permeated theirs. And Jesus is using this leaven figuratively, uh, but uh, still the disciples take this leaven literally. And they began to discuss among themselves that they have no bread, looking at each other and saying, we have no bread. And I can imagine Jesus banging his head off the side of the boat, right? <laughs> what do I got to do here? Uh, so his frustration with them results in this series of questions that we see in verses 17 through 20. Don't you see? Don't you hear? Don't you understand? Don't you remember? How many loaves uh, did you pick up? Uh, so he's, he's teaching them through repetition. Repetition is the, deceit, is the key to the disciples seeing and learning. Now you and I, you know, we read these verses and we shake our heads, right? Like how can these guys be so dull? Uh, but I wonder if maybe we're giving ourselves a little too much credit, right? We ourselves have seen God rescue us from untold calamity, uh, a lot of it self-imposed, right, over and over again. Uh, and, and he's answered so many prayers of ours, and yet we still ask God, don't you care? Will you help? Right? We do that. Uh, and God has promised so many things in the Bible, never to leave us or forsake us, to be our strength and our shield, uh, to, to be our ever-present ever help in time of trouble. And so God is not the problem, right? It's our faith that's the problem. Do we believe? Are we as dull as the Pharisees? Do we see? Do we understand? Do we remember? Uh, that is what Jesus wants us to know. And what we've seen throughout Mark's gospel is Jesus answers the prayers of the people who come to him in faith. For those, he has the power and he has the will to heal, right? But when the people uh, in his hometown uh, asked him for a sign, uh, they did not come with the right attitude. Uh, they said, isn't this Jesus, the, 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 the carpenter, the, the, the son of Mary, right? Disparaging him. And Jesus at that time, he had the power, but because of his, their lack of faith, he did not have the will to do these miracles. 
And so if, if we want God to work in our lives, we trust that God uh, has, by, by faith, that, that he can work, that he will work. Uh, he will work it all together for us for good in his timing, of course. And so uh, he's working on these disciples. And so he's in Dalmanutha now. Now in Dalmanutha, they cross over to the other side of the lake again, and that is going in a northeasterly direction now, back to Bethsaida, where Jesus healed another blind man. And we'll look at the two-step healing of this blind man in verses 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. And taking the blind man by the hand, he took him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees. And then again he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. So here we have the only two-step healing that Jesus does in all of the Gospels. And again, Jesus used his own spit as a means for healing this man. Now, it sounds, if you just read the text, like he spit directly into the man's face. I, I doubt very much that that's what he did. I think he probably rubbed some spit on the man's eyes. Uh, but the man only saw vague shapes that looked to, to him like trees uh, walking around. Uh, so he saw, but he only saw partially. And then Jesus touched his eyes a second time. And the man, notice this, looked intently, right? Which shows his, his desire and his faith to be healed. And, and his vision was fully restored, full sight. And so uh, to the disciples, he says, do you not see? And to this man, he says, do you see, right? Uh, and so he's treating the disciples and this man uh, differently. Uh, to the man who looks intently, this man sees. Uh, so uh, he's, he's teaching the disciples, keep looking intently, keep, keep looking, keep following, and you will see. And I've read multiple explanations now on why uh, Jesus did it this way. Why did he heal this way? I mean, cure, sh surely he could have healed in any manner he chose. But I've seen a couple of interesting explanations. Uh, one commentator said maybe the man was afraid, and to do it in two steps would allay the man's anxiety. Uh, I've seen that, uh, the, that he was showing his disciples that he could give spiritual uh, healing and enlightenment in steps. Uh, maybe that's what was going on here. But uh, the explanation I like best is that this was a symbolic uh, reference to Jesus' struggle with his own disciples, uh, how he's got to bring them along slowly to get them to understand, because we all experience faith in stages, right? At one time, each one of us in the room was an unbeliever, right? No spiritual insight. And then we became believers, we had faith, but not a whole lot of understanding, right? And, and as we continue to walk with Jesus over the many years, uh, we gain more and more and more understanding uh, through repetition, through abiding in the Holy Spirit, uh, to, obe to obeying the Holy Spirit. And so that's the journey that the disciples are on. They're, they're watching Jesus do what he does, and they're, they're, they're getting closer and closer to understanding who Jesus is. So uh, five short stories, all intended to teach uh, these disciples and us who Jesus is. And Mark's use of the chiasm shows what a true disciple of Jesus looks like. So in the outer stories, uh, in these A stories, we have uh, these healing miracles. Uh, there are people who, who have faith to be healed, and they see spiritually uh, they have the faith to be healed, and they receive healing. 
Now, in the B stories, the disciple stories, we see the disciples struggling with faith, but trying to understand. They're, 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 they're not opposed to Jesus like the Pharisees are. Uh, they are really trying to understand, but they just don't get it. And in the C story, the Pharisees, they have no faith. They have no spiritual sight. They don't want spiritual sight. And so those are people who should be insiders who are outsiders, while the outsiders, these Gentiles, become insiders. So it, it's not about faith. I mean, I'm sorry, it, it, it is about faith. It's not about heredity or position, right? It's about those who wa- want to see, those with eyes to see, those people Uh, get spiritual sight. So Jesus's miracles are for the benefit of those with spiritual sight. Uh, He heals for the benefit of the people, for the physical benefit of the people that he heals, but also for their spiritual benefit. And the same goes for the disciples. But for the Pharisees, uh, their spiritual blindness, uh, their rejection of Jesus shows the hardness of their hearts, and they get no further spiritual insight. So let's close with a few applications. Uh, The first one is this, that Jesus rewards faith. You know, whatever you need right now, whatever you need, he can provide, but he expects you to come in faith like the Gentiles did. Uh, So Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So do we see who God is in this passage here? And in our entire passage today, do we see who God is? That's where Jesus is trying to take the disciples to a place of understanding who he is and that he rewards faith, and that's where he wants to take us to. So since Jesus rewards faith, we ought to resolve to keep growing in faith. You know, whenever we close ourselves off uh, to more learning uh, or to more spiritual insight like the Pharisees did, we're spiritually blind, and we reject the new lessons that God has to teach us. Do we really think that, that we know everything there is to know about God and his plan for our lives, right? I don't think anybody in here would say that they think that. Uh, we're never done learning. We're never done growing until God takes us home. Uh, so minds and hearts that, that think that they have arrived uh, and that think that, the, that there's nothing new to learn, they're spiritually blind. They're proud. They become self-sufficient. Uh, and they are actually hostile to God. Even the miracles lose their awe. So, so keep your minds open. Keep your hearts open. Keep your eyes open. Do you hear? Do you see? Do you understand? Who knows what God may teach each one of us and how he may use each one of us in the future. And now this last thing has to do with repetition. I want you to write down five events in your life when God has been faithful to you. So if repetition is the key to learning, then it would be helpful to remember and to write it down and to read it over again. It's good to remember times when God has been faithful to us really come through for us. So I'd like you to write it down five times, even if it's just like key words that you alone will know. But if you want to write the whole thing out, that's great. And if you feel comfortable, I would love to read these stories. What could be more encouraging uh, than to see how God has been faithful in the past? So uh, when we do things like this, it helps build our own strength. It builds our own faith muscles the next time we need God's help. It helps us to see who God is, to remember what God has done and understand him. And God's faithfulness helps us persevere because we know that he's delivered us in the past. He will deliver us in the future. So uh, remember, write, read, and repeat. Remember, write, read, and repeat. And as you do these things, your faith will be strengthened. Do you see God for who he is? Remember, 
read, write, repeat, okay? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you uh, for these five amazing stories, uh, Lord, which, which show the character that you expect of, of people who come to you, Lord. Your character never changes. Uh, you are God, and we love you. Uh, and yet, uh, there are different kinds of people in the world, Lord. Help us not be like the Pharisees. Uh, help us to have better understanding as the disciples uh, sought uh, wisdom and, and understanding from you, Lord. Help us never to think that we've arrived, uh, never to think that there's anything that, that, that we, or there's nothing that we can learn from you, Lord, and that our purpose is fulfilled. For as long as you have us here, Lord, we know uh, that you have work for us to do. And we pray that we would seek it eagerly, Lord, that we would be, uh, continue to walk in Jesus' footsteps and to be your faithful disciples until the day you decide to take us home. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.